0: Welcome to the newest edition of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do on every episode, uh, we interview a brand new martial artist, talk about their background, the styles they've trained, and, and how it uh, kind of blends into their everyday life and everything else they're doing. And kind of an interesting guest on this week's episode was recommended to me by a good friend. This gentleman is not only a martial artist, but he's also a comedian, uh, does improv, he's written numerous books. Please welcome to the show, Stevie Ray. How are you doing today? Good morning, sir. So kind of just like we do with all my guests, I want to kind of go back to the beginning and just talk about how you first got involved in martial arts or how it first piqued your interest and just kind of take us down that road a little bit.
1: I was a, pardon me, a freshman in college, and I was on my way to dinner uh, through the student union. I went to college at what was then called Moorhead State University. Now it's called Minnesota State University, Moorhead I refuse to call it that. <clears throat> me, me too. Because <laughs> I'm from the old days.
0: Yeah, that's where I went, I, st- I still call it MSU. <laughs> oh,
1: darn right. Uh, and as I'm going through the student union toward the cafeteria, I look over and there's a demonstration, a martial arts demonstration going on in the lobby of the student union. And <clears throat> I saw this martial arts teacher who was four foot ten, fully grown, uh, an old Japanese guy. And he was throwing to the mat guys who were three times his size. Uh, it looked really fun. Uh, it was something that kind of piqued me because I'd, I'd always been interested in martial arts, but I never knew that I was. Because when I was growing up, it wasn't a thing. Uh, it certainly wasn't. Uh, I was a freshman in 1977. So th- there just wasn't the same fervor that there is now. Mm-hmm. It was considered kind of exotic. Uh, very few people you knew did it. Uh, back then, there were no kids involved and very few women. Okay. But I walked up to the guy, and after the demonstration was done, I said, Sir, I, I'm interested in joining your class. And uh, this is how informal it was uh, because nowadays you've got contracts and all kinds of documents to sign. He said, Okay, you come to the gym uh, Tuesday, 6 o'clock. That was it. <laughs> and uh, he held it in the wrestling room uh, of the field house. And that's because he did something unique. His name was uh, Kiyohisa Okamura. And he held a 6-degree black belt in a style of karate called Goju Ru, which is an Okinawan style. Uh, <clears throat> and then he also held a second degree black belt in judo. Uh, Plus, he also had training in a number of other uh, uh, non-Eastern martial arts, like boxing and things like that. Uh, So half of the class, you would learn karate. Then he would say, okay, switch the top. And that was the top of your uniform. (laughs) And you went to the side and uh, switched from the lightweight cotton karate top to a very heavyweight uh, judo top. Which is necessary because if you kept the lightweight top on for Judo, uh, the throws and the, the twisting and all that kind of stuff, you would tear the uniform apart.
0: I speak from experience, that is true.
1: <laughs> uh, yep, so he would say, switch the top, and then the rest of the class would be Judo. And along the way, he would throw in basic Aikido, uh, and he would also have us train in like boxing exercises for conditioning and things like that. Uh, And the reason he did this was, it was pretty unusual for a martial artist of uh, a traditional background, because he was raised in Tokyo. Traditionalists stick with one style, and that's all you're supposed to train in, and that's the best style in the world. No other style is good. Uh, That's a very Asian mindset. But he didn't think that way because He grew up in wartime Japan uh, when the adults were all gone and the kids were left on their own. And him being such a small child, he would get beat up every day on his way home from school. So he told us he took karate for self-defense. And that's why he learned as many different styles as he could. And that's why he encouraged us to do the same. He just kept saying, if it worked, you do. Nice. And uh, that's why our, our sparring was uh, very full contact. Um, we were kind of doing MMA before it was invented because he would say, while you're sparring, if you get your opponent on the ground, the fight's not over. You have to get him into a joint lock or a choke hold, and he has to tap out. So it was a safe environment. And nobody was injured. Right. But it wasn't the uh, game of tag that sparring can sometimes become, Yep. it was you actually went for it and kept going until it was done. Wow.
0: So how long did you train with him then?
1: I was there. Uh, I stayed in Moorhead after graduating uh, for a while to continue working to get money to move. Uh, so I was with him for six years.
2: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Uh, I trained, and this was back when uh, also – you were never guaranteed any rank, and he would uh, he would routinely fail people at tests. Um, and I think in the I don't know I think I think he taught at that school for 20 years, and I think he only advanced 12 black belts. Wow. Uh, so, because he said, I don't care if you get black belt. That's that's not why you're here. You're here to train, and you either do it right or you don't. And he didn't really care that you got a black belt before you graduated and left college. That wasn't why he was there. So uh, I eventually became his uh, head assistant instructor. So I would go to class half an hour early to warm up. Uh, I would teach a class on my own. Then I would uh, assist him in the next class after that. And then I would be a student in the advanced class after that. Okay. So three days a week, I was doing it about three and a half hours at a time.
0: Nice. And then what? Did, with him, what did you get your black belt in? Did he give black belts in? Him?
1: I advanced to second degree black belt in Gojuru karate okay. and brown belt in judo. Nice.
0: Do you know whatever happened to him? Because you know, I went to MSU, but I, didn't, I started there in 92, so it was a little, little bit after you. And when I got there, I think the only thing they had, they had um, uh, Taekwondo, and I believe they had, the first year I was there, they had something called Jokukai, but they ended up getting kicked off campus for some of the stuff they were doing. that was, I think, all they had for martial arts at MSU when I was there.
1: He eventually moved to Illinois. Okay. He was a college professor in mechanical engineering, and... So he had a job, I think it was Peoria. Uh, I'm still in touch every now and then with a couple of my fellow Black Belts okay. who are in touch with him. Uh, so he's still around. Uh, I don't think he teaches anymore. Okay. Uh, he, he did not open a standalone school. He taught through the university. Uh, I mean, he charged us, what was it? Uh, if you took a credited class through the FIED department, mm-hmm. uh, intro to martial arts or something like that, then you just paid the tuition okay. and participated in the class. Uh, but all other classes were taught just through him. And he and the university had an arrangement where he could just continue to teach other classes that weren't through the university. And so he charged uh, $30 a semester Wow, Not bad. <laughs> for his teaching. <laughs> so basically 10 bucks a month. Yeah, nice. And he said, I don't keep that money. I send it back to the headquarters in Japan as a a, a thing you do. Mm-hmm. He said, that's, that's what we do. I'm here to support the martial arts. He said, I, I make my money. Uh, doing my profession, but this is, this is for the love of it.
0: Yeah. That's very similar. I went, uh, when I went to MSU I found out there was a, a keto instructor at Concordia. Um, it wasn't a black belt. He was second Q, So right before black belt, but he used to charge 10 bucks a month and it was five mm. days a week every morning at 7am. So he used to wake up every oh morning God. at 7am and get thrown around for an hour, <laughs> but for 10 bucks yeah, a month, I mean, it was he, worth it.
1: <laughs> he's figuring, well, I'm going to be here. I might as well have somebody else with me.
0: Exactly. So nice. Nice. So then, Thinking back, like you know, you said you started in you know the seventies the there. What were those classes like? Obviously, I'm sure you've probably seen martial arts classes nowadays, and it's it's changed. So I mean, I've heard I've heard I, stories I from people.
1: Say, yeah, it wasn't what you would call brutal. Okay. Um, it was demanding. Okay. Uh, and, and there's the distinction. You worked hard. You sweat like crazy. Um, there was no messing around. Uh, because he was he was old school. I mean, he was he was raised in a very rough environment, and he took it seriously. Uh, there was one time where uh, a student yawned while he was speaking, uh, and didn't cover his mouth and didn't hide the yawn. It was just this big old, Ugh! and my instructor walked over, slapped him across the face, and said, "Are you still tired?" <laughs> I said, "No, no, sir. Good." I saw a couple of, uh, I was at, we didn't do tournaments that much, uh, largely because we were the only Goju school around. uh, And we also fought differently, you know, full contact, plus takedowns, chokeholds, locks, the whole thing. Uh, Nobody else does that, so how are you going to participate? Right. But we went and watched a tournament once, uh, more of a demonstration slash tournament. Then we saw two of the organizers, two younger black belts, getting into a kind of a heated argument over on the side of the room with the audience uh, within earshot and within full view. Wow. And it was very uncomfortable. And I, I looked at my instructor. I looked at uh, Sensei Okamura and said, boy, what would you do if two of your students behave that way without hesitation? He said, I would go knock them out. As if his attitude was as if that's the only option. What are you even asking me here? Of course I would knock them out. When they wake up, we have a good talk. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So it was was common for him to end the class saying, okay, Japanese push-ups. I think they're termed in most schools now, they they call them rowing push-ups. Okay. Where you are in a push-up position, but your legs in the back are spread and not together you pull back into a pike position with your hips as high as you can. Then you swoop forward with your chest grazing the floor uh, low and then push up. So it's this pike, swoop, push up, pike, swoosh, push up. And it it requires about twice the energy of a standard push up, Mm -hmm. uh, especially because your chest is supposed to actually graze along the floor. Instead of just getting a few inches from it. And he would say, okay, and we'd be on our fists instead of on our hands to do the push ups. And he would say, everybody go. And you were to match him one for one as you go through the push ups. And you just try to keep up with him. And he would just keep going and keep going until eventually somebody in the uh, row of students would drop from exhaustion. Then another one would drop, then another one. He would keep going until absolutely every student had dropped and not been able to keep up. Then he would do ten more. Nice. Then we would get up and he'd say, "I don't understand. I'm old enough to be father everyone here. <laughs> you in college." So he made it. He made it work. Uh, it, we did uh, board and brick breaking for every test, uh, and it was fairly uh, prescribed uh, to get your first cue. Uh, some places have it yellow. We had it gold. Uh, you had to break one board with a fist and one with a kick. Uh, these were 12-inch by 12-inch pine boards, so they were full size. Okay. He would test them beforehand to see if you got extra dry boards that were brittle, and if you did that, he'd give you one of his. Uh, then to get your next level up, you had to do two with a fist, two with a foot, and then kind of on the way up. And when you were applying for black belt, you had to submit what your series of breaks was going to be so he could approve of it. Oh, okay. And he would he would basically look for uh, whether you were pushing yourself uh, because you always had to keep going to the next level.
0: Very cool. That's actually an interesting I mean, usually you only see that nowadays at least at a tournament where you get to pick your own breaks. It's kind of cool to have students do it yeah. for a test.
1: Yeah. He, he, you basically told him, well, sir, this is what I'm going to do. And he would say, uh, add one more. Oh, okay. Because he com- could tell if you were kind of wimping out.
0: That's the complete opposite of mine. For my black belt test, I only knew what one of my breaks was out of the 12. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, to me, it was actually a surprise when I got there. Oh, I'm breaking. Oh, I'm breaking this. Oh, I'm yep. breaking. This. Yeah. So it was like, okay. And and my instructor, you know, he wouldn't even pick them. Beforehand, he'd be he'd have one picked, and then he'd be like, "All right, I did a really good kick. You're gonna do a break with that. Oh, I did a really bad kick. You're gonna do a break with that. Break <laughs> so, with that. Yep. Yeah. So it's like if you were right down the middle, you probably you know best for you. But <laughs> that's a, that's a, I like that. That's an interesting way to do it.
1: He also used uh, more or less the boxing format for sparring, uh, whereas a lot of martial arts now, when you spar, as, somebody, as soon as somebody makes a point or makes contact, you stop, go back to the center, and start over again. With us, it was three-minute rounds with a one-minute break, and he would count how many points you got during the round. Yep. So you just kept going and kept going, uh, which makes you really tired, especially mm-hmm. when you're doing throws, takedowns. Uh, those are exhausting. Yeah. Because it, it takes so much more energy to grapple.
2: Now the
0: continuous points is the way to go. I, I, I yep. wish more tournaments did. it. I've been to a couple uh, Taekwondo ones that do it you know, one way and the other, and I definitely like the nonstop better.
1: He also did not – ever divide by weight class or age really once you were a black belt you fought black belts and so i fought guys that had one guy had like an eight inch reach on me because i'm a short guy Mm -hmm. Uh, he must have outweighed me by 50 pounds wow and he was a bruiser but my my sensei said there's no weight class on the street. (laughs) He said, no, you know, if if somebody comes after you, that's when it counts. And so you, you spar. And like I said, uh, I've been a part of several schools now. Uh, I never got injured in that school, no matter how hard we trained, Uh, because he made sure you knew what you were doing before you got in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was tough. It was hard work.
0: Nice. So then after you left the Moorhead area, then what, uh, what was next? I moved your down flights? to
1: Minneapolis, St. Paul, okay. uh, to begin my career. And uh, I looked around for a new school to join. Uh, I did what is considered traditionally respectful, is when I found a school, I called him and asked him for permission for me to join that school. Okay. And that's kind of what you're supposed to do in the old school days and... I said, there's this school called, uh, you know, Song Kwan," And he said, Oh, well, that's Korean. <laughs> I said, I believe so. Yes, sir. And he said, well, no, you can't join that school. It's Korean. <laughs> Cause he was still old school tradition, yep. you know, Japanese style is best. And so I found a Shotokan school, okay. which is a Japanese style. Mm-hmm. And I was there for, I think seven years. Oh, wow. Um, I started all the way over again as a light belt mm-hmm. and it took 6 years to regain uh, first degree black. Wow. Because I had to retest at every other level. And going from Goju-ru, which is uh Goju in Japanese means hard soft. Mm-hmm. So the name is hard soft style. And the basis of most most martial arts, you know, comes from uh, India really in the early days through China. Uh, But Okinawa had its own martial art, and Japan at the time, way back when, centuries ago, really only had sumo and uh, budo, the samurai, Mm -hmm. uh, or bishido. Uh, They didn't have the the kind of hand-to-hand that that came about with karate. Uh, Okinawa just had what was called te, which was uh, Okinawan for hand, Okinawa te, And every village had their own style, so the village... Uh, of Shuri would have Shuri Te. Uh, the village of Naha had Naha Te. Um, then, when the Chinese first started trading uh, with Okinawa, the Chinese started trading with Okinawa before they started trading with Japan. So, they brought Kung Fu with them. And the Okinawans learned the circular internal arts of Kung Fu and combined that with Okinawa Te to create what was called the hard soft style. Because Okinawa Te was very hard. Okinawans were short, stocky, hard people. So their style was brutal. And Kung Fu is, in many styles, more flowing, more circular. So they combined it. And that's why Ryu is called hard, soft style. You see elements of Kung Fu and elements of real straightforward uh, karate. Yep. Uh, so uh, when Japanese started uh, coming to Okinawa and learning their styles they brought it back and split it into five major styles of Japanese martial arts, Shotokan, Kyokshinkai, uh, Shito Shtoru, and Waroru. Those are the five major styles that birthed all of the other Japanese martial arts uh, or karate, I should say. Mm-hmm. So I joined Shotokan and he was fine with that, but it was, it was like learning to walk all over again <laughs> because the generation of power is done differently. Your hips, your legs, your arms, everything is is used differently. And the interesting challenge there was, this was still old school. So the instructor would come by and see me doing a technique and he'd say, why are you doing it that way? Mm -hmm. Well, nowadays, people would say, well, because that's the way I was taught uh, in my old school. Well, my old school didn't count anymore. So I wasn't allowed to say that. The only thing I could say was, I'm really sorry. How should I be doing it? And they would act like it's obvious. Do it this way, you fool. And in that school, uh, it was also uh, very traditional, uh, where even though the owner of the school and the head instructor was technically qualified to advanced black belt ranks, he never did. He waited for the master from Japan to come up twice a year and hold a test. And he would let him decide who got advanced, uh, either into black belt or for the advanced ranks. And... Uh, When I was finally ready, uh, after five years of training, I was a second degree brown belt. You were technically allowed to try for black belt if you thought you were ready and not go for first degree brown. And if you failed, they just made you a first degree brown. So it's no big skin off your teeth. So a bunch of the black belts were talking to me and they said, is this your first time testing for black? I said, yeah, you'll fail. I said, why? I've been training longer than most of you. I'm really good. They said, oh, no, they fail you. Just to see if you're committed, because if you're gonna if you're gonna quit because you don't make it, we don't want you. Wow. And they said, oh oh, didn't you come from another style too? I said, yeah yeah, I trained in a Okinawan style. They said, oh for sure you're gonna fail. <laughs> Jeez. And I said, why is that? And they said, he does not trust dojo hoppers, <laughs> people who go from school to school to gain black belts wherever they want to go. And uh, I was at the top of my form. I was really good. My technique was solid. And back then they didn't announce who, uh, who was uh, advancing and they didn't make a big production out of it. Okay. You waited three to five weeks. You were not allowed to ask, how did I do? Uh, that would get you in trouble. You waited. And then one day in the dojo, there was a sheet of paper and the names on it had the names of the people and what their rank was if your name wasn't on it, you didn't pass. That's all the feedback you got. If you walked up to the instructor and said, I noticed I didn't pass. He would say, yes, you didn't. And if you said, why is that? He would say, because you failed. (laughs) And I remember one student walking up saying, is there anything I should know so I can do better next time? He would, he said, yeah, show up to class and listen to what I say. Is there anything else you want to know? So after five weeks of waiting, my name wasn't on the list. I had to train for an entire year before I was eligible to, pra- to try again for first degree black. Jeez. And so I trained for another year and, uh, and passed. Uh, but uh, I, I was born with pretty bad knees. And so a uh, Shotokan on a hardwood floor, after you kick, you drive your foot into that floor. to solidify your stance. Well, after six years of that, bang, 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 I just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, I had to leave reluctantly because my knees were just, I was limping home afterwards. Uh, Plus you sat in a kneeling position and all that kind of stuff all the time. Uh, When we had our test, uh, nothing was spoken in English. You sat in a long row in a kneeling position, uh, what's called Cezanne, and they would just say, and that would be your name, and you get up, you'd say, hi, and you'd run to the center. They'd call out your form, hey, you you'd say, hi. And they'd say, uh, hajime, which means begin. And you'd do it, and they would say, hup, and you go sit down. Not a word was spoken other than that. Wow. At the end of the test, you stand up, bow, and leave. No fanfare, no music, no cake, no applause. <laughs> the audience was absolutely silent throughout the whole thing. Uh, and that was it. Wow. So I... I Uh, I took my leave and I apologized for not being able to continue my training. Uh, they understood. Um, then I went on to an Aikido school Okay. because I loved the beginning Aikido techniques. I learned from my first sensei and I wanted to keep it going. I was at that school for a year and a half. I advanced one Q, one grade in a year and a half. It was run as a co-op. So it was very inexpensive because everybody was there because they loved it. Mm They also only tested people when the master from Japan would come in. Uh, He would fly up once a year from Japan and hold tests. And all the Aikido students from around the upper Midwest would fly or drive in to be tested. And I remember at that test, you know, I'd had quite a few years of several different martial arts styles under my belt. And here's Aikido, which is a whole different world. And at the test, when I finished, the uh, sensei from Japan suddenly looked up straight at me and said, where do you train? And I said, uh, this dojo sensei, this dojo. I said, hi, sensei. Uh, he said, Oh, okay. And he never said another word (laughs) to this day. I have no idea why he asked me that. (laughs) Wow! And all the other students were like, why did he single you out? Why did he want to know where you trained? What did you, I said, I don't know if it's because I did good or because I was really bad. I have no idea. I'm wondering if he
0: noticed something, he picked up a sense of another style within you or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he saw it. There's no way you can hide it. Yeah. So after a year and a half of that, my knees also couldn't take it, not because of the style of training, but because of the kneeling. And there's a certain kind of kneeling walk that you do in Aikido. I hate that. Uh, (laughs) Have you seen it?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I did the the Aikido for for almost a year. Yeah, so you
1: know the kneel walk. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. But you go up and down the floor, up and down the floor. I love that school because it was very traditional, very respectful. At the end of the last class of every day, uh, all the students uh, before they left would clean the dojo. And so a bunch would grab dusting rags and they would dust every surface and they would take weapons off the wall and dust them and put them back on the wall and dust plaques in the shrine and everything. And two vacuum cleaners were taken out and you go down the dojo training mat and back. And when you return for the back trip, another students waiting there to take the vacuum cleaner from you. And then everybody did something. Uh, and so even though one person could vacuum the whole mat, everybody took a turn because it's everybody's job. Right. And it didn't matter what rank you were, it wasn't only meant for the white belts to clean, it was everybody. So I really liked the attitude of the place, but I had to had to quit that. I floated around for a couple of more schools until I finally ended up at the Taekwondo school that I'm in now.
0: Okay. Which st- which system of Taekwondo? Uh,
1: it's called American Song Moo Kwan. Okay.
0: Oh, the first it one. The not- first one you asked your instructor about, or a different one? <laughs>
1: uh different one. Okay. Uh, I joined one Taekwondo school for about a year and a half, and was uh, not happy with the training. Uh, the instructor kept leaving other people in charge who weren't really qualified. Okay. Uh, I joined another Taekwondo school and was there for quite a while. Uh, I I started over again as a white belt there. And took years to work myself way back, all the way up to a Brown Belt. Uh, but that school rotated their instructors on a regular basis from studio to studio within their large system. Uh, that wasn't the only thing I didn't like. I also didn't like the kind of the gladiatorial attitude they had about their tests uh, while people were testing and sparring the audience on the side would be screaming and yelling like it was a professional wrestling match. Right. You know, it just wasn't my style. Uh, It was good physical training, but not good emotional or mental training. Uh, People were good instructors, but not good teachers. If you recognize the difference. Oh yeah. So after a number of years of that, I left and found this school and I, I joined this school, I think in 96 and been there ever since.
0: I think that the Taekwondo school I currently train at, if I'm not mistaken, we originally were Sung Kwan and then changed years later to Chung Kwan. Okay. Uh, that uh, we're under um, great grandmaster Mu young Yun, 10th degree black belt out of Korea. Okay. As our grandmaster. But I, I'm almost positive it was Sung Kwan, and there's something political that happened and they changed to Chung Kwan. I, be, I believe. Oh,
1: there's so much politics. <laughs> uh, Too much. That's kind of how it goes. our, our, the, the, there's only like three major schools of Taekwondo uh, because it was originated when a Korean student, uh, when the Japanese occupied Korea, they wouldn't allow you to go to college in Korea. You had to go to college in Japan. So he was forced to go to Japan. And while he was there, he learned Shotokan. And he took Shotokan back to Korea and combined it with the ancient art of Taekyon to create Taekwondo. So there are heavy elements of Shotokan. When I first started training in Shotokan or in uh, Taekwondo, I thought, wow, this is a lot like Shotokan. And I didn't know that that's because it's a blend of the two arts. Yep. Yeah, I noticed and that too. ours was uh, He Sang Ro was one of the founders. My instructor learned from the student of the founder of our system. So he's like third in line. Okay. He's been around forever. And so it's very traditional. Uh, it's not militaristic, which I like, but it's still, like, there's, there's etiquette. Uh, you bow before you enter the floor. Uh, once somebody attains the rank of black belt, you are no longer allowed to call them by their first name. The, they are either sir or ma'am, or if you have to address them, it's, you know, Mr. Gissette. Okay. Uh, and if you give a command or an instruction or some helpful advice to a lower rank, uh, they have to say, "Oh yes, sir, yes, sir, thank you, sir." Uh, but if you say, "Okay, do you understand?" If they say, "Yeah," that's not yeah. appropriate.
0: It's very similar to our school, except it's it's we're we're Mr. and Mrs. first names, so it's Mr. Brian, Mr. Steve. We don't. Do oh,
1: it, okay. So
0: but very similar. We have our to everything name else.
1: <laughs> just on the belt. So I wish we had the first name thing because some of these last names I can't pronounce.
0: <laughs> so which which uh, I'm curious, which forms do you guys do there? Are you doing the Taguk or the Paul Gay forms?
1: Uh, we do uh, Kim Son. Oh, okay. So, is the very first one. Okay. Uh, Hyun Jun. Uh, so it's not, we're not part of uh, any of the three, like the TKF or the ATK, those uh, national federations. Okay. Our school is not part of a federation. So it's still very similar. Very. Uh, when you look at uh, our forms. You see elements of all the traditional taekwondo forms in them. Okay. Uh, we have what's called the big book that we refer to every now and then and make sure we're kind of staying in line. But also every system interprets things. Right. You know, when I was in Shotokan, that's what the difficulty was, is that once a year when the uh, grand sensei would come up and he would hold the test, he would also hold meetings with all of the chief instructors from the area and say, well, there's been a lot of talk in Japan. And you know this move that you've been doing for the last three decades That you thought was a block we've reinterpreted it as a strike which means your body changes your 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 hips your shoulder your arm everything changes from that and so the instructors would come back and say okay that thing you were doing uh we're changing it uh so that happens every now and then in this taekwondo school it used to bug the hell out of me now i look at it and say well this keeps us fresh Oh, it, definitely. it keeps us keeps us hopping.
2: It's a great you way know. to look at
1: it. So don't get stuck with it. Right. Uh, in our school, in order to advance through the black belt ranks, you have to do a bow form at the uh, test, and so they they introduce a new bow form every six months. Okay. So it keeps you from remembering the bow form you did a year ago and just doing that. Right. So while you're doing the same empty hand forms uh, throughout your rank, you're going to have to learn something new. And that's where the bow forms come in. Nice. Uh, the other thing I liked about my very first karate instructor Okamura is that <clears throat> everybody was allowed to train with us who wanted to. He didn't care what style you were or what you practiced. So while we were practicing Okinawan Gojiru, we had Taekwondo artists pop in and participate in the class. Shotokan. Uh, high school wrestlers would come in. Nice. Uh, we had a, a an Olympic wrestling coach join us. The only requirement was you weren't allowed to leave without showing us something of yours.
0: Very cool. I like that.
1: Yeah, it was so cool to, because, you know, we didn't know much about wrestling. We knew judo uh, or karate. And so he would say, oh, well, here's a move that we do in wrestling that you don't do in judo. And my instructor would say, oh, that's pretty good. We're going to keep that. We're going to keep that one in. Boxers would come in. Uh, I read an article about a Chinese Kung Fu artist who his students saw him shadow boxing in Western boxing style. And the Kung Fu student said, what are you doing? That's that's uh, English boxing. (laughs) And the Kung Fu master said, yes. And it's a martial art. You know, you're punching Uh, and it's a whole different way of punching than we do. How many tools do you want in your box? I got more than you.
0: (laughs) That's great. I wish more schools did yeah. that. I really do. That's. I actually had an instructor that forbid me to train, and when he found it, actually my original Taekwondo instructor, when he found it, I was taking a keto, tried failing me. I was actually taking it for a credit at MSUM, and he threatened to fail me because I was training another style at the same time. <laughs> I'm like, all right, so it's it, really sad. Yeah. Like um, last week we were learning how to fall and roll in Taekwondo. I'm learning. How, I'm learning <laughs> how to do it in a keto, which is better. <laughs> and you're yeah, mad, is- and you're mad at me
2: for it. <laughs>
1: Well, my instructor, that, my school, uh, it's the um, AKS, American Karate Studios. Okay. They have three schools in the system, and each one is independently owned and operated, but they are all under the direction of the head instructor of the main school. So he is in charge of of uh, black belt tests and and who gets to be an instructor and that kind of thing. But if you're running one of the other two schools, you get to choose your assistant instructors, you do your own uh grade tests for everything under black that kind of thing but you're allowed to go to all three schools whenever you feel like it you can you can rotate around which is kind of fun so the instructor in my school uh whichever school you officially start with is considered that's the studio you're in even though you can go to all of them well she is his uh second in command and she started having me one night a week uh, take the class through what I wanted to teach them, uh, because I also have training in Krav Maga nice. and weaponry. So I've, uh, the five major weapons of Gojiru are the Kama, the Sai, the Nunchaku, the bow, and the Tonfa. And most of those were developed to protect the Okinawans from the samurai of Japan who would attack them with swords. So uh, she said, do you want to show them some self-defense moves? And it was just one night on a Tuesday class. I said, sure. Uh, This one comes to us from Aikido, uh, and it's a joint lock. So everybody would practice that. The next week is, can you show them a different move? And I would say, this comes from Judo. And the next week, this one comes from Krav Maga, and it's uh, defending against a knife attack. Well, it gradually turned into Tuesday nights are my nights. I get to teach whatever the hell I want. And it's all self defense. So they learn falling, rolling. Uh, judo fall is different than an Aikido fall. So we practice both um, Aikido fall, Aikido roll versus Judo fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll practice knife defense, um, uh, defense against a firearm, a pistol being held to your head. We practice uh, close quarter stuff, either Judo or Aikido or Krav Maga. And I say, You know what? The chances of you being attacked by a knife or a pistol are pretty small. That's not why we're practicing this. Right. We're practicing this so you can become familiar with your body and how you react in tense situations. Do you control it or do you succumb to it? And taekwondo doesn't practice close quarter stuff where you get grabbed or you fall to the ground. But if you get in a fight, ninety percent of them end up on the ground. It's gonna be pretty hard to kick and punch down there. So let's practice every eventuality. So you can just become more comfortable with who you are. And what I was taught by my first instructor, how do you own your space? And if you don't know your space, you can't own it. And so it's been a real treat for me once a week to take over the class and say, here's what we're going to learn now. You're going to escape from a chokehold. And these are the most common, you know, attacks that are done. uh, If somebody is drunk and coming after you, Uh, we've started a a women's self-defense seminar the five most common attacks used by men against women. And they're very specific. Right. Uh, so we train them in case this ever happens, because still one in five women will be assaulted on a college campus in America. In some cases, it's almost one in four. Right. So yep. 25% of women on college campuses are gonna to have to defend themselves. But we go beyond the physical defense. And so they say, what, what are you doing to get yourself into a situation you don't belong? Well, it's likely because you don't own your space. You're doing something because somebody else is pressuring you into doing it, getting into a car with somebody you don't feel comfortable with, getting into a room, you know, a dorm room with somebody you know you probably shouldn't trust, but you do it because you don't want to seem like a mean person. All these things that trigger us, I said, that's, that's part of self-defense, is not being there in the first place, because we teach a lot of what Aikido is based on. The best defense against any attack is not to be there. So we, we talk about the fact that, you know, we'll pair people up who are widely different in size. And I'll take a girl who's like 12 years old, taking the self-defense class. And I say, I'm bigger, I'm stronger. You know, what do you got on your side? And she would look at me and say, nothing. I'd say, are you kidding me? You're so much faster than old fat guy here. I'm going to come at you just charging like a bull. Just don't be there. And she steps out of the way. And I say, see, you're not sweating. I am. Nice. You know. And uh, that's what I learned from my very first Aikido instructor. I was, you know, I'd said, what is, what's the best defense? He said, don't be there. <laughs> I said, well, what about all these techniques you're teaching us? He said, yeah, you can use them, but then you get sweaty. You, let the, you know, they said this in the second Karate Kid movie, uh, when fighting there. angry blind man, best step out of the way. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, let him fight himself. That's an old Chinese saying. So, kinda, so that's what I've enjoyed morphing into is, is being a senior student. Uh, I've attained my sixth degree in, in this style.
0: Oh, wow. Congrats.
1: Cool. Thank you. Uh, the, the rules they put in place are once you reach black belt, it's that number of years training before you're eligible for the next level, plus points, okay. plus attendance. So there's a three-tiered system you have to pass. If you're going from second to third degree, you have to train for a minimum of three years to get your third degree from your second. You also have to have a number of points. You gain points by attending tests between ranks. Every six months, there's a black belt test. So every every black belt will show up. Not every black belt is going for the next rank. So you'll see 50 black belts out on the floor, but you get a point for showing up, a point for your empty hand form, a point for your bow form, a point for breaking and a point for sparring. And so you might need... 32 points to get your third degree. Well, if you don't attend these regular tests, you don't get points, which means you're not demonstrating commitment, which means you don't test. Okay. And you also have to have a minimum number of classes that you've attended per month between one rank and the other. So that keeps people from cramming toward the end. They look back at your whole attendance and say, you didn't show up for three months. And then you came for like one class a week for three weeks to try to cram it all in. (laughs) That doesn't count nice. unless you have special circumstances, illness, injury, that kind of thing. They're, right. they're reasonable about that. But they look at you and tell you, you know, what your score is and you are not allowed to ask, am I ready to test for my next rank? That'll almost automatically get you disqualified. Wow. They tell you, we'll let you know when you're ready for your next rank. We'll say, oh, by the way, you're testing at the next six month test. Be ready for it. but that's it. You don't ask otherwise. Okay. So for me now, uh, I got my sixth degree, I think a couple of years ago. So I have at least five more years before I'm eligible for seventh degree. Okay. Uh, Plus consistent attendance, plus consistently going to the black belt tests in between. I am not uh, technically an instructor in my school. Instructors in our school wear a blue uniform. In order to do that, you have to apprentice for a certain like year and a half then you have to take a test that shows you know absolutely every technique there ever is. Uh, I don't feel like learning all the self-defense techniques that they teach, the white and gold and green belts uh, and the one steps. Okay. And they've said, well, you've actually taught so many classes and you offer assistance in the regular classes to all the lower belts because it's kind of what a black belt is for. They did say, well, we might want to talk about giving you your blue suit and your blue uniform anyway. And I said, no. No, I, I did not go through the steps that all of the other blue uniforms did to get it, so I won't accept it. I did not apprentice. I did not take the instructor's qualifying exam, any of that stuff. said I won't disrespect what they've done. I'm fine wearing a white uniform for the rest of my life. <laughs> Frankly, I'm pretty traditional anyway. Yeah. All I ever wanted was a white uniform. I don't like all the color uniforms.
2: Yep, yeah.
1: I, I was raised to just red
0: uniforms and purple uniforms. Yep. It's like eh, standard white. And is they,
1: good. you know, I was raised where even having a patch on your uniform was kind of weird. So, which I don't care about really, but uh, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to get something uh, as an honorary thing.
0: Oh, well, it makes perfect sense. So, so to kind of to shift gears a little bit now, in, in your in mm-hmm. your regular life, obviously, in your like, your your career, you do. You do comedy. You do keynote speaking, public speaking. You're an author. When did you decide to start incorporating martial arts into that, or is that kind of from the beginning?
1: Uh, you can't not incorporate it. Okay. it. You can you can try to ignore it, but it's there behind you all the time. Okay. Depending on the the the, the workshops that I do, because uh, I'll go into a company uh, and I'll ask them, you know, they'll they'll say we want a work tra- workshop from you, and I'll say, well, what are you hoping to accomplish? And they'll say anything from we want our teams to work better together or we want our leaders to be more confident or we want to deliver speeches and presentations more effectively what have you there's always some kind of martial arts philosophy that's buried in all of that you know look at teamwork you're a you're a solo individual who affects everybody around you and so Your lack of giving it 100% is going to mean somebody else is not going to give 100%. And you see that in the martial arts studio all the time. Your performance signals to everybody around you how to behave. I do a lot of research into neuroscience for my uh, workshops because understanding how the brain is triggered to respond helps us trigger it the right way. And it's incredible how much martial arts will affect the, the neuroscience and the wiring of the brain, how we react to things. One of the books I wrote is uh, the, the only book I've written actually about the martial art. All of my other books are about business or, or some kind of related topic. But I thought, I want to write about my martial arts experience. So it's a book called 1,000 Punches a Day.
0: I was just looking at that one, so I'm glad you brought that up.
1: (laughs) And, uh, you know, my very first instructor, you know, Okamura, I said, what do I need to do in order to become my best at this? And he said, you do 1,000 Punches every single day. And I remember saying to him, because, you know, I was a college freshman. I didn't have time for all that. I wanted to fly through the air like Bruce Lee. And uh, I said, well, wait a minute. What about all those fancy things? He said, when you get into a fight, you don't have time to think. And he knew what he was talking about because, you know, he had to defend himself growing up every day. And pretty much as a full grown man at four foot ten who was Japanese in the upper Midwest, uh, he would go into some bars and have to fight his way out because somebody would come up and say, your people killed my dad in Iwo Jima or something. So he he knew what he was talking about. And he said, you don't have time to think. Uh, Any fight is going to be won by one punch. He said, forget the movies. People don't get up after one punch. Uh, It's going to be one punch, one kick. That's it. And he said, if you practice it a thousand times every day, it'll be there ready, waiting for you. Muscle memory, instinct. And he said, you don't have time to do all that fancy stuff. He said, if you practice 50 different techniques once a day, you're not going to be good. One thousand punches a day, you'll be ready. So that's what I take into my corporate workshops and keynotes and trainings. is uh, It's remarkable how it affects the world of improv. Most people see improv like the TV show Whose Line Is It Anyway, yep. and they say, Oh, you're just making stuff up as you go. There's actually quite a lot of training in improv. That's another reason uh, Bill Lucas and I, the person who recommended me to you, uh, get along so well because we're both improv artists. <laughs> There's so much training. And so many techniques involved. And every show we do, we have a debrief afterwards, a note session, where the director sits down with the crew and says, all right, let's talk about how the show went. And every single time things didn't go well, it leads back to one basic technique of improv. Maybe it's somehow a listening thing or taking an idea and and reformulating it or working physicality into it. Or denying somebody else's idea on stage. It's all basic. Well, if you look at the martial arts, it's all basic. It always goes back to that one small thing. Years ago, I could fly through the air and do flying kicks and spinning stuff. Now I basically punch and kick. Uh, I got a fake hip and a fake knee on one side uh, because of uh, uh, what's called osteoarthritis. Kind of arthritis that wears out a joint. Mm -hmm. And the orthopedic surgeon said, well, you didn't do anything to cause this. Some people just get it. Some don't. He said, more than likely, your martial arts allowed you to keep your joints longer than you would have, but they wore out. And my instructor came up and said, I don't want to see you jumping anymore because it'll hurt your knees and your hip. And I want you around as a student. Uh, I jumped once and he saw me from across the room and marched right over there and said, what did I tell you? <laughs> yes, dad. Uh, but I just stick to the basics. You know, I don't kick as high as I used to, but I kick high enough to matter. Uh, but 1000 punches a day kind of bleeds into all the work that I do, yep. plus all the other martial arts techniques. In fact, that's kind of why I wrote the book. It's not a martial arts book. Mm-hmm. It's a book about how martial arts applies to everyday life.
0: Nice.
1: How, how, did, how does it affect your relationships at home? How does it affect your work? uh, and your profession, uh, because it's, it's buried into everything we do.
0: It looks like a great book. I'm I'm going to be clicking to order it as soon as we're done chatting here. Cause I definitely uh, oh, thank you. add it to my library for sure. And we'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes so other people can check it out and the other stuff too. So, so cool. kind of some, some fun questions to, to wrap things up and uh, mm-hmm. stuff like that. First of all, one going back to what you mentioned way at the beginning, when you talked about how you guys were kind of doing MMA before it was cool. Just curious your thoughts on MMA as a traditional martial artist.
1: You know, here's the thing. I, I, uh, the same kind of thing applies to improv because uh, what most people don't know is that there are a few different styles of improv. And when I first started out in karate, people would say, Oh, we do Goju and we're better than Taekwondo. And I had some Taekwondo buddies in school that would say, Oh, we're Taekwondo, we're better. know, <laughs> uh, then you talk to the real guys, the people who've been around who'd say, No, what are you? Don't waste your time with that kind of nonsense. There's no such thing as a style that's better. There's a martial artist that's better. And in improv the same thing happened. There was this huge rift in improv between styles. And it's comedy for Pete's sake. We're not curing cancer. So what are you arguing about? It's like saying is Picasso better than Monet? What you know? So when I look at MMA, it's just another style. They like what they do, so they should do it. I would never get into the ring and fight like that because I really like the nose that I have in the shape that it's in. (laughs) But it's a martial art. Why? Because it's martial and there's an art to it. You know, if you want to go back far enough, all martial arts were MMA. Exactly. You know, that's all there was is people fighting to survive. I don't watch it. It's, It's, you know, because it's just not my thing, you know. I really like every now and then looking on YouTube and seeing some uh, group forms of national competitions where they are like mirror perfect and the technique is spot on. I look at that and go, oh, my God. I don't know how many years and hours it took to get there. Uh, But I still respect MMA for what they do. Okay. Just just don't do it at my garden party. (laughs) There you go.
0: So in your, your decades of, of martial arts training, is there a, one specific or maybe a, a one or two philosophies that you really hold true and, and c- come back to every now and then?
1: Three of them. Okay. One is the 1,000 punches a day. Uh, I practice that in everything I do. As long as you can do one thing consistently, you will achieve success. Just keep at it. Uh, the second is the best defense against any attack is to not be there. Uh, The harder you push back, the more you lose. That's probably the hardest one to keep in mind. Because when somebody pushes, we we emotionally get involved and we push back. And that's really hard to just say, don't be there. Uh, When somebody attacks you verbally, same thing, just don't be there. And the third one is, there's always somebody better than you and there's always somebody worse. Mm -hmm. So why are you looking at rank? You know, I had a guy who was younger than me when I joined this particular taekwondo school. But he had been at that school longer, so he achieved black belt before I did. And when you line up in school, you line up according to rank. And I lined up behind him uh, or below him in rank. And he turned around and looked at me, and we were the same rank at that point. And he said, I don't understand why you're lining up below me when you've been in karate for decades longer than me. (laughs) And I said, do you know where the word sensei comes from, what it translates into? And, of course, he's in a Korean school, so he doesn't know the Japanese terms. And in Korean, there's like five different words for your instructor, depending on their rank. But I said, sensei does not translate into teacher. It translates from Japanese to English into born before. Anybody who is born before you is your teacher. That's the philosophy in Japan. Well, if somebody is born before you in a particular discipline, it doesn't matter what their age is. They were born before you in that discipline, so they're still your teacher. I said, you were born before me in this school. Even though you weren't born before me on this earth or in martial arts as a whole, you're still my sensei in this school. I will always line up behind you because you got there first. Nice. And he just kind of nodded at me, and I said, yeah, that's kind of the way it is. (laughs) And I demand that of everybody below me because I'm old.
0: (laughs) That's great. That's all I got. There you go. Nice. So if you had to pick one, just one martial artist that you admire, like a hero in the world of martial
1: arts. Oh, my God.
0: Hard to pick one, I know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, There's there's a lot to admire in all of them. And there's something to avoid in a lot of them uh, because uh, quite a few of them have an ego that doesn't serve them or competitiveness between styles that doesn't serve anybody. You know, when you look at people like uh, Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. uh, he, 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 was, he set out to be a movie star. You know, I listened to an interview with Chuck Norris, who fought with Bruce Lee a lot. And Chuck Norris is very gracious about his praise uh, of Bruce Lee. And when somebody asked, well, who would win a fight? Chuck Norris said, well, Bruce Lee is an actor primarily, and I'm a fighter. So we, we never went there. He's a great martial artist, but he didn't train to fight. He trained to do it on film, you know, and Chuck Norris trained to do it in the ring, mm-hmm. which is why Chuck Norris was only an average actor. <laughs> I wouldn't say that to his face because I've seen <laughs> his not. axe kick. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so uh, the martial artists that I admire were the very, very old traditional ones uh, who just stuck true to what they taught. You know, Bruce Lee's instructor was Ip Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have to admire that guy. I admire the ones who took and built upon it, uh, in Goju Ru, Chojun Miyagi. Um, actually Mr. Miyagi in the karate kid is named after Chojun Miyagi yep. because the techniques shown in the karate kid are Goju Okinawan style. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool that they just honored him by, by calling him the guy who originated the style. Uh, those are the ones I admire. Okay. Uh, a lot of the people on movies and TV, uh, you know, when you look at Jackie Chan, mm-hmm. he was trained in Chinese opera, yep. which is uh, which is martial arts based. So whether he could actually go into a ring and do that, who knows? But I got to tell you, somebody that can do those kind of stunts the way he did throughout his whole career, <laughs> yeah. I am just blown away. Another guy who uh, blows me away is Tony Jaa. Oh, that guy's amazing. I look at that and think you're you're just not even human. Uh, you don't count because you came from another planet, <laughs> and you took on human form. That's the only explanation I have.
2: That that
0: chase scene in the first ungbach
1: Oh, forget it. My God, He's jumping through those hoops of barbed wire. Yeah, that was. So well, good. my my <laughs> wife is Thai. Oh, okay. Uh, She was born in Thailand, but as an infant moved to America with her parents. So she was raised in Chicago. She's she's a Chicago-American girl through and through. But her parents are Thai. And so, you know, they still speak with a very thick dialect. And I remember when her I was talking with her parents one day and they said, are you practicing martial art?" I said, yes. And what do do you train in? And I said, this, that, the other thing, you know, and they've got Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you want to if you want to die early in life, go practice that. And they have Ong videotapes, you know, in their collection. And I said, well, I practiced this, and now I'm in Taekwondo. And they just looked at me like, okay, that's more kind of like a dance, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, compared to Muay Thai, yeah, it is. So if someone were
0: to approach you, either a, a friend, a colleague, someone just in general, looking for advice on what to look for in a martial arts school, they're either looking at getting in themselves or maybe for a, for a child or something. What are uh, one or two maybe tips or some advice you'd give them on what to look for in a school, what to look for in an instructor?
1: Very straightforward. Don't listen to anybody else but your own heart. Go visit a school. Sit in that lobby and watch don't don't take the opportunity to participate in a free class right away. Do that later. Watch. Go back a number of times to see a number of instructors if they have different ones. It's got to feel like you. It's got to feel like home uh, because everybody has such different emphasis. One school, for instance, I attended when I first joined, I said, uh, it, it was a taekwondo based school. I said, I am not interested in tournaments. You know, it's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get into the fact that I considered most tournaments to be officiated by people who weren't necessarily qualified. Right. Uh, these days, tournaments are officiated by whoever they can get to volunteer. And also, I just don't, I'm not a trophy hunter. Right. Uh, I like competition, but I don't like tournament trophies. So I asked them, I said, is it all right if I don't do tournaments? Can I still join the school in advance? They said, yeah, yeah, no problem. After reaching Brown Belt, they started coming to me and saying, I noticed you don't do tournaments. I said, yeah, I told you that years ago. Well, you're kind of setting an example for the other students if you don't go. Uh, and I subsequently discovered that most of their revenue came from tournaments. As you know, those are an expensive thing to do. And it really disappointed me. So I tell people, when you go to a new school, ask them very strictly, what is required to be a part of this system, to be a part of this school, and what do we need to do to advance? Are tournaments required? Are they encouraged? Are they kind of forced? What's your attitude? Uh, Our school says, if you want to go to tournaments, that is fantastic. In fact, sometimes they organize groups to go, but it has nothing to do with your rank. We don't know if you go. We don't care. If you never go to a tournament, it will not affect your participation in this school. So I tell the prospective people, visit every style you can imagine and see what feels good. Uh, If they make outlandish promises like you will reach black belt in two years Mm -hmm. if you join this program, don't go. It's a black belt factory. (laughs) That's a phrase we use in the martial arts, and it's not a positive phrase. Just say, you know, what do you do here? What do you believe? And let us just watch for a while. I had a friend take his son, 12 years old. One school promised a black belt within two years, join this program, pay up front, the whole thing. Took him to another school. It was a jujitsu school. And they talked to the instructor after watching. And they said, uh, the, the kid said, uh, I have a question. How long before I get to be black belt? And the instructor looked at him and said, never, <laughs> you're never getting black belt. And they were both thrown by it. And the the kid said, why? He said, Because a 12-year-old black belt in jiu-jitsu can't take on a 30-year-old no belt with no training. So what's the point? If you're here to get a black belt, don't join. You'll get it when you get it. And sure enough, they went back and watched. And at one point, they saw the instructor just walk up to a guy and say, oh, here's your black belt. No ceremony, no pomp and circumstance, no ice cream and cake. Here's your black belt. Good job. Show up next week. One school I attended, I got a chance to visit Japan with my uh, original instructor. So we went around to different schools. That was a wake-up call. One guy had just gotten his shodan, his first-degree black belt. Mm-hmm. The very first black belt class he attended, they worked the bejeebers out of him. He had to spar everybody in the school, one at a time. And they, he was so, exa- they weren't beating him up, but they were exhausting him. Right. At one point, he could hardly lift his arm. And they kept saying, come on, you black belt now you're a big black belt. Come on, show us what you got. Show us what you got. Come on, you're a black belt. They took him down a peg and they, they talked to him after class and said, look, we respect you. We honor you, but let's not get ahead of ourselves here. You just graduated from high school. That's what a black belt is. You still have college. Then you have your master's degree. See our instructor? That's PhD. So, you know, keep humble. You're, you're, you're The reason you're a black belt is to help everybody else below you reach their goals, you know? So, now go get changed, wipe off the sweat. I love that. All right. Yeah.
0: So now you can't pick your own. What is your favorite martial arts book?
1: Oh man. <laughs> oh, there is a book. I, I'm I like more of the encyclopedias. Okay. Rather than ones that pick a particular style. Because I have a book that was given to me by my first instructor that was purchased in Japan signed by the head of our system and signed by my sensei it's all in japanese i don't know one damn word it says (laughs) but it sits on my shelf there's pictures i'm good with pictures so i have uh like the essence of okinawan karate though i have musashi's a book of five rings uh i've got uh a book called uh, The Founder of Aikido, called Budo, Teachings of the Founder of Aikido. Uh, most people pronounce the gentleman's name wrong, mm-hmm. but Morihei Uh I've got the Dao de Ching. I've got Dao of Jeet Kune do, I've got Aikido and the Harmony of Nature. But of all the books, I like the martial arts. Basically, that's it. Swordsmanship, Kendo, Aikido, Judo, Karate. And it's an encyclopedia of every style. Nice. I'm one of those who likes to go, what do, what do those people do? I may not practice it, but I like reading about it.
0: You're writing that one down. That one sounds interesting. I would
1: enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Just like I have the uh, Harper Collins book of world religion. Okay. I don't practice any of them, but I woke up one day realizing, I don't know what a Methodist is. Yeah. You know, I don't even know what a, what a Muslim or a Hindu believes. So I went and got a book of all of it. It's my bathroom book. I'll flip it open and go, oh, that's what those people do. Kooky.
0: All right. So final question, possibly two-part question. Favorite mm-hmm. martial arts TV show and or favorite martial arts movie?
1: Oh man. Uh my favorite martial arts movie was Ong Bak. Nice. I mean that's just uh, forget his skill. Just the fact that the choreography goes on for 15 straight minutes without a break. <laughs>
0: that's crazy.
1: And he never repeats one technique. Uh just just nuts. My my wife's parents said that they read a lot about Tony Ja uh in Thailand. Mm-hmm. They said, "Oh yeah, he went up on a mountain for like 2 years." just to train away from everybody else. And he had he, he attended a school and didn't do anything but train for two solid years just for that movie. Wow. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to choose to believe it because it sounds cool. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I like I like the old Kwai Chang Kang kung fu show. Okay. Because of the philosophies. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a lousy martial artist because... You know, David Carradine was a dancer
0: Yeah, he did Tai Chi, I think Was the only martial arts style that he studied Yeah,
1: I practiced Tai Chi for like Six months in college because there was a visiting Professor, Uh, very difficult Martial art to do The the balance required was just uh, Outrageous Mm -hmm. Uh, But I like the philosophies of it And I thought if anything is going to Give the true nature of martial arts It's going to be that
0: So did you like the sequel series? What was it? the, The Next Generation Kung Fu? Nah Okay, no, nope. <laughs> I don't think many people. I don't think it lasted that long, so no. well, Stevie, I just want to thank you. this has been a lot of fun. I had a lot of stuff I did not know about you, and it's been great. And like I said, I'll put links in all the show notes and everything like that and and send people to your website and any I appreciate la- it. any last minute parting words you want to leave anybody with or uh,
1: no, uh, I appreciate talking about it uh, and send me a link to the podcast so I can listen.
0: I will for sure.